0: Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin Kramer. I'm one of our elders here. It's been said, uh, but happy Father's Day. Let me pray and let's consider God's word together. Heavenly Father, we do give thanks uh, for this morning. Many of us have had different paths to get here. Um, And we know that all of it, though, is by divine appointment. So we trust that all, te- all scripture is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training us up. and you know, we, we want those things. Father, we want to be molded more into the image of Christ. We want to grow in the evidences of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. We want to exist with more uh, confidence and faith. Lord, we need so many things, and only you can provide them. And we pray this morning for the next 30 minutes or so that you would provide in abundance all that we need. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, On Father's Day, it's probably appropriate to at least acknowledge it for just a second. Um, At this point, there is incontrovertible evidence from both secular sources and religious sources as to the impact that a father has on a family. Now, if you're here, you either are a father or have had a father. Right? That's right. As far as I know, there's only one. uh, Anyway, the National Fatherhood Initiative, which is not a particular Christian resource, has... Droves and droves of data to demonstrate that whether it's social, emotional, relational, psychological, educational, economical, behavioral, and even life expectancy is at some level tied to the impact and influence of a father in the life of the family. And Whether you had a good experience as a son or daughter or a poor experience, or whether you yourself are struggling to be a good father, we do have a better example than we could ever hope for horizontally. And so I I do believe that one of the things that we ought to lean into Is our heavenly father rather than today our own earthly father experiences. And that's not to dismiss um, any particular journey that you may have had, but I think there's much wisdom in considering really the perfect father-son relationship between God the Father and the Son Jesus. And so one thing that's been interesting to think through is that fathers have an impact in particularly with either words or actions. And so what we want to consider today is some of the words that the Heavenly Father may have for us. And over the last six weeks or so, I have been fascinated, uh, perplexed, slightly confused, extremely interested in that one little verse. Mark 1.35, let me read it again for us and we'll get started. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Now, God saved me when I was uh, almost 18 years old. And so I immediately, uh, for the first time in my life, began understanding the Bible, studying it, um, understanding who God was, who I was in relationship to him in the context of a college ministry. And I was formed in deep ways by that college ministry But as you can imagine, a bunch of dudes living together thinking we know a lot. We were sure that this verse meant the only time that you could meet with God was early in the morning. And you were lazy and half of a man if you didn't get up and spend time reading the Bible. Now, I don't think that's what Mark means in this verse here. But I was convinced of it 20 years ago. Now, one of the things that it does point to. It's not what time you have your devotion, although I think there's much to be said for starting your day that way, but that's not the point. This is one of literally a dozen different instances just in the Gospels where we see almost this exact phrase where Jesus is retreating somewhere. And so if you'll bear with me, I'll be quick. Mark 2. He went out again beside the sea this time. Mark 3, and he went up to the mountain. Mark 6, talking to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Luke 4, and when it was day, he, Jesus, departed and went to a desolate place. Luke 5, he withdrew to desolate places and prayed. Luke 6, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. Matthew 14, he withdrew in a boat this time, to a desolate place by himself. Matthew 14, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. John 7, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, this is the Feast of Booths, then he also went up, but not publicly, in private. John 7, just understanding the context, Jesus walked 90 miles by himself. That's what it means to go up to the feast of booths. His brothers had already left, and so he, he walked to Charleston by himself. John 10. He went away again across the Jordan, which was five miles away, and there he remained. This is, this is in, in my estimation, a pretty peculiar pattern of behavior by Jesus. The, the word desolate there in the Greek means uninhabited, deserted absent of inhabitants completely solitaire it's it's isolation now maybe if you know uh, psalm 46 10 there's some echoes of this be still and know that i am god is that what jesus is doing here Are, are we to simply assume that jesus is practicing the spiritual and personal discipline of solitude maybe but i think a more foundational question is what in the world is happening in this solitary desolate place that's not happening elsewhere why is jesus the savior of the world the rightful heir to the throne of the kingdom of heaven what is he, what is happening What is he doing out there that can't be done somewhere else? What is Jesus receiving in this desolate, solitude place that he's not receiving anywhere else? Henry Nouwen, Christian uh, writer, in his book Out of Solitude says this. To live a Christian life means to live in the world without being of it. It is in solitude that this inner freedom can grow. Jesus went out to a lonely place, and in the lonely place, Jesus was made free to fail. A life without a lonely place, that is a life without a quiet center, easily becomes destructive. We cling to the results of our actions as our only way of self-identification. And then we become possessive and defensive. Here it is. In solitude, we can slowly unmask the illusion. In solitude, we become aware that our worth is not the same as our usefulness. So even Jesus, who was 100% God, clearly sees a need in the regular cadence and rhythm of his own life to retreat into solitude. But why? John 15, 4 is our window in. Abide in me. I love the New Living Translation. It says, remain in me. Another translation, the CEV, is stay in me. The word abide there means literally to wait, to tarry, to remain, to live, to lodge one's self into. Jesus is going out to lonely places to abide in the Father. Now, I was recently at a conference with a pastor out of New York, and he said this, human beings are designed to retreat and recover. Rather than building a secret or desolate place, as Jesus did, where he heard the Father's voice and was restored, we instead build third worlds where we go to discharge the stress, we follow sin, and we take our edge off. We build third worlds rather than doing as jesus did and hear the father's voice to be restored the loudest voice in anyone's life is their father's and the loudest voice in a christian's life must be our heavenly fathers abide though is is one of those funny words I was uh, recently uh, watching something and heard the word iambic pentameter. Now, I know what that means, sort of. I can't spell it, and I'm not sure I'd know how to use it in a sentence appropriately. That's what the word abide feels like to me. And so I was riding my bike on Friday. It was 90 degrees outside. I was miserable. I'm, running, I'm riding into a headwind. And I'm listening to praise and worship just to like, keep my attitude positive. I'm a long way from home. My wife won't answer the phone. I've tried to call her. I'm in rough shape. And so I'm riding. And I, I ask, I'm asking myself. Okay, abide. And then I immediately tell myself, I don't know what that means. Do you? How do you abide? What does it mean? Somebody put some legs to that for me. I, I can't figure out how to actually and functionally abide in the Father. And I've been thinking about it. It reminds me of our oldest daughter, Eli, who just in the last two weeks has learned to ride her bike without training wheels. And so she comes to me, dad, I'm ready to ride my bike. I don't know how to do it. Great, I'll teach you. How do you abide in the Father? I don't know, but if we'll come to him today, And in the days ahead, he will teach us what it means to abide in him. Now, I think there's at least six things that happen when we abide in the Father. Now, I want to make a a distinction here. Some of you may be familiar with the phrase union with Christ. And that is foundational to our faith. Our union with Christ is our legal standing before the Lord. The easiest way to understand it is that all of the benefits and rights that come to Jesus as the Son of God flow to us not by inheritance, but by gift. And so we are made right with the Father in Christ. And so the Bible is filled with no less than 100 phrases that says in him, in Christ, in whom. What Jesus is pressing into here is not our union with Christ in this text. He's beginning to unpack for us our communion with the Father. So, we want to think not merely about our union with God, but our communion with Him. And so, I believe there's no less than six things that happen when we enter into and abide in the presence of the Father. And so, instead of taking my word for it, let's turn to Psalm 23 and unpack that together in the next few minutes. Psalm 23. The first thing that happens when we, as Jesus did, move into the presence of the Father is satisfaction. Verse 1, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Hebrew there for want literally means to lack nothing. To have no deficiency. It reminds us of Psalm 34 where it says that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You could translate that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want into. The Lord is my caretaker. I lack nothing. There is a connection between a shepherd... Sheep and wants. A shepherd cares for the sheep. And the sheep have no wants. If there is no shepherd, all the sheep have are wants and needs. Because there is no one there to care for them. And Jesus reminds us in John chapter 10 that he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep but i am the good shepherd and i know my own and my own know me or psalm 16 in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore well who is sitting at the right hand of the father he is the good shepherd. And he, without reservation, without stinginess, is dispensing the blessings and pleasures of heaven, namely the peace and presence of God the Father to all those who have put their hope and trust in him. Jesus certainly knew that he needed to combat the temptation to be dissatisfied. How did he do that? One of the ways he primarily did that was regularly retreat to the presence of the Father. And he was satisfied. Could you imagine waking up tomorrow with no felt need or want? hard for me to imagine that. Friend, you have no dissatisfying relationship. You have no dissatisfying future or discontent situation that Christ cannot satisfy. There is no part of your life that is riddled with discontentment, dissatisfaction, or hopelessness that in the presence of the Father... Cannot be made satisfied. And Jesus knows this. Number two, when we retreat into the presence of the Father, we get rest. That's verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. The the literal translation is, my provider makes me settle down in fresh, new, restful places. He takes me beside waters of peace. In Adrian Reynolds' little book, uh, little small book, And So to Bed, he says that sheep really only lay down for one of two reasons. To sleep or to rest. Oftentimes, though, rest is a very slippery thing. It escapes us. And and, and rest requires an element of self awareness to be able to gauge are we rested? Do we have rest? I was putting one of our uh, kids down the other night, and she was feeling worried. And I reminded her that even when mommy and daddy sleep, that God never sleeps. And that just totally popped her top. Like, what do you mean he doesn't sleep? Well, yeah. Well, why is he, does he not get tired? No, he never gets tired. He doesn't nap. He never naps. And then I said, mistakenly, God needs no rest. She was very quick to remind me that God is the one who told us to rest. So at least that's like, good job on one side, right? As a parent, maybe she's learning something, but she was right. God is the one who gives rest because God himself is rest. And so Jesus was very much retreating to lonely and desolate places to receive the rest that his heavenly father was giving. This reminds us certainly of Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus has got his hand in the air saying, I'm taking all of the unrested, heavy burdened people. Come on. But we often. there are many things that might rob us of our rest circumstances relationships anxiety finances children family personal failures sin there are so many things that could rob us that want to thieve the rest that God has for us but we've got examples throughout the Bible of other saints Who have been in the same situation but have still found rest. One that comes to mind is David has been betrayed by his son. And his son is starting a coup to overthrow David as the king. And David's on the run for his life. Which seems to be kind of like a pattern in David's life. Where people want to kill him and so he has to be on the run. Here's what he says in Psalm 3. In the midst of that pursuit by his son who just betrayed him. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I lay down and slept in the middle of emotional turmoil, physical danger, the betrayal of a son, but I woke up again, for the Lord sustained me. Friends, there's rest in the presence of God. But as Jesus did, you got to go to the presence of God. And I I, I oftentimes look for cheap rest. It's really more like cotton candy where you bite into it and it dissolves in four seconds. Here's a third thing that happens when we abide in the Father restoration that's second half of verse 2 I'm sorry verse 3 he restores my soul the word restore is a picture and it says that it's a linear motion of returning back to a point previously departed so Something was whole. It was made unwhole. It's now becoming whole again. For turning back to its original wholeness. Or the translation is, He returns my innermost parts to complete health. I had a a friend of mine's father... Who got a a, a foot injury and the foot injury led into an infection and the doctor required my friend's father to spend I think it was three hours a day three times a week in a hyperbaric chamber and a hyperbaric chamber is where when, when you have an injury your muscle or your tissue is damaged And therefore, you cannot get blood to the tissue. So you've got cell damage, tissue damage. And so what happens is a hyperbaric chamber is an over-intensification of oxygen into those parts of your body that are struggling to get enough oxygen. And so you get in there and it it, it turned my friend's dad's hair completely white. So I, I don't know how that works. I mean, is... Black hair, like, no oxygen, and gray hair is oxygen. I, but he goes in, and he did it to save his foot. I told him they were going to amputate his foot. Friends, you and I are on the verge of having our souls amputated by the ecosystem of the world. And if we do not, as Christ did, regularly go into the presence of the Father, we cannot be restored. We cannot have the innermost parts of our body and mind and heart, the ones we don't even know need restoration to be restored. It's what the pastor I mentioned earlier said. Hearing the voice of the Father and being restored. Number four. The fourth thing that happens in the presence of the Father is we receive courage. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The current of the world right now tells us that we need to be informed by fear. In fact, most of our decisions daily are made out of fear. What do I do to keep the money I have? What do I do not to lose my job? What do I do to make sure my kids don't grow up to be destructive? What do I do to keep my marriage intact? What do I say? When do I say it? How do I say it? Everything about life right now is informed by fear. But Christ is calling us to the opposite. Even though I walk through hard times, loss, suffering, pain, death, I will not be afraid of anything sad. Why? Because your presence surrounds me. Your voice is louder than the fear around me. This is what Daniel had to hear to sit with a bunch of lions all night. This is what Moses had to hear to leave the desert and go back and confront Pharaoh. This is what Caleb and Joshua had to hear to enter the land of giants. This is what David had to hear to slay Goliath. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to hear to walk into a thousand degree burning furnace. The voice of of their heavenly father had to give them something that nothing and no one else could. And if we don't practice retreating into a solitaire and intimate place with the father, we are at risk of not hearing his voice. If I don't do that, I become Justin, the the fearful business owner, the incompetent father, the insufficient husband, the arrogant friend. Instead of redeemed, chosen, loved. And all the other names that the Lord has given me. All the names the Lord has given you. When he says in Isaiah, I have redeemed you and I've called you by name. My name may be Justin, but that's not the name the Lord has given me. Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, peace, and of a sound mind. The Lord has given each of his children a name. And the only way we hear that name is by hearing his voice. You and I are at grave risk of living in a way and under a name that is not actually ours. It is a false identity rooted in fear. Jesus is telling us, come this way. I've given you a new name. The only way we hear that is to be alone with the Father. Number five. In the presence of our Father, we get comfort. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Literally just means your strength and support. Give me peace. Richard Sibbs. Uh, wrote a a book called The Bruce Reed. He says, according to my trials will be my graces and comforts. There is an endless reservoir of comfort for God's people. You know that old saying, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. Friends, God is too much of a gentleman to shove it down your throat, but it is waiting there in abundance for you. Uncertainty, hardship demands that we need comfort. And just because you don't think you need comfort, do not fool yourselves, because we will find it other places. In my life, I found it in work, in Netflix, in binge eating, in spending money, and you are the same. You have found comfort in other places. Jesus is telling us there's a better way You know, you, you ever bought something that was, like, really cheap? Like, I've had, like, T-shirts i bought where they fit great for, like, 64 seconds. And then you wash them one time or they get wet and you're like, right? This is a T-shirt that fits the same way every time, all the time, and it's just right. Last one. The sixth thing that Jesus received and that we as God's people receive when we abide in the Father is love. This, this may seem obvious and simple, but this is Psalm 23, verse 6. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever definition I I read recently, it says, to receive another's love means we can allow ourselves to surrender to their care, their kindness, their respect, their praise, encouragement, and commitment. I find this to be one of the most difficult things to do as a Christian, is to receive The love of the Father. Yesterday one of our kids got hurt. Cried very loudly. Ran down the steps. And jumped into my arms. She just wanted to be loved on. And it feels good. I mean. When was the last time. That you let somebody just hug you. Just hug you and hold you. Not feeling awkward, or uncomfortable, not squirming, not looking for something witty to say, but you received all of the love that that friend or family member had for you in that moment. We need to be loved. And in Christ, We are worthy of the love of the Father. And just in case we're confused, because my kids will ask me, or we'll talk about how much mommy or daddy loves them. Just in case we're confused as to how much the Father loves us, Ephesians 2 tells us, it will take all of eternity for you to understand just how much love I have for you. And not only that, but I intend, this is God the Father, I intend on spending all of said eternity lavishly dispensing it without hesitation on you forever and ever. I want to spend all of eternity doting on you in love. In fact, my love for you is so unquantifiable, there is no measuring system to capture it. That's a little better than what I tell my kids. I love you to the moon and back a thousand times. His love for his people is immeasurable. Jesus was fully God and needed nothing yet. One of the most pointed and regular practices in his life was to retreat into the presence of the Father. Yet, I bet very few of us can remember the last time that we did the same, but yet what is there for us is no less than satisfaction, rest, restoration for our innermost parts, Courage, comfort, love. Now, as we finish, don't hear me say that go to the Heavenly Father to feel warm and fuzzy. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that those are available to you no matter what is going on. It's not like Jesus was on the beach sipping drinks. I mean, he, he was retreating to this place of the Father... Through the midst of betrayal, turmoil, hardship. These things that happen, they are beams, they are not the sun. They are waves, but they are not the ocean. The Heavenly Father is worth being with. And we have access to God the Father through God the Son, and we experience these things through God the Holy Spirit. And I think the encouragement this morning from Mark one thirty five, let's be the kind of people that make regular practice of going to the Father. So that he can care for us. Going to the Father to hear his words to us. And going to the Father to experience his love for us. What kind of people would we be if we were satisfied, rested, restored, courageous, comforted, and loved? We'd be different than we are now. We, uh, as a family, we practice a family Sabbath. We start on Friday evenings with a, a dinner. And so we've started doing this back and forth, just trying to talk through the kids. Why would we do this? Sabbath is a weird word, you know, all those things. So one of the things we do is we ask the kids, and the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat. So we ask the kids, we said, why? What, what, what is Shabbat? And they reply, it's a time where we rest and we play. Why do we rest and we play? Because God tells us to. Why would God tell us to rest and play? Because he loves us. And we look at our kids every Friday night. Eli, Merritt, Rye, Reed, God does love you. And he loves you very much. Christian, God does love you. And he loves you very much. Let me pray for us. Oh, how deep and wide and vast is your love for us. Lord, we we may want to interact with these these things intellectually. We we, we may want to interact with these things emotionally. We, We may want to interact with these things practically. How do you want us to interact with the truths? Of the life of Jesus. Lord, we want to feel satisfied. We want to know what it's like to be rested. We want those deep nooks and crannies of destruction to be restored. We want to be courageous. We want to know your comfort, and we want to live in your love. Help us to be the kinds of people that know those things, that taste those things, that tell others of those things. Help us to be the kind of people that abide, remain, And stay, as Jesus did, in you, Heavenly Father. In Christ's name, amen.